Hello friends, this is Juan Pablo Herrera, church planning resident for Urban Village Church, where we seek to be bold, relevant, and inclusive. This is a podcast titled Drag and Spirituality, where we take time to listen to queer folk as they discuss their journey with religion, faith, and share their contemplative practices. There may be colorful language used during these interviews, so discretion is advised, especially if you have children. We hope you are inspired, and thank you for listening. Bendiciones. God bless. Hi there, Bonnie Violet here. Um, and in case you don't know where you are, I say that all the time, I'm not sure why, but you are at Dragon Spirituality, uh, named and known. I'm so excited that you have joined us. Um, just to kind of put it out there, you're either watching us on Facebook Live, YouTube, or we are now on Twitch. Um, also, this uh, recording is also going to be converted into audio and be uploaded into podcast for, uh, podcast format. She needs to slow down sometimes. She gets a little excited. Um, so it'll be uploaded onto a podcast as well. Um, uh, this is an opportunity for folks to see how drag and spirituality um, can exist in just in a person's experience and to give drag artists a opportunity to lace their narrative with a spiritual thread. Um, this is like a drag show meets uh, church, I guess. Um, and so uh, feel free to tip your queen um, throughout the show. Um, her Venmo is at FK drag. You can see it there just above her name on the screen. Um, so without further, oh, I wanna thank Urban Village Church, our sponsor this evening. Um, Urban Village Church is um, hosting this series. We have six interviews. Um, this is our fourth interview. We have two more to go. Um, and then we'll be doing a spiritual um, drag brunch on February the 27th and more information will be coming for there. I have talked too much. I'm gonna go ahead and get to our guest. So our guest this evening is Fonda Cox. Hi, everybody. Hey, how's it going? Good. I'm loving that lip. Oh my God. I, <laughs> I'm hoping it stays on the whole time. I think it will. <laughs> I think it will. Cause God loves you. And if God loves you, he wants your lips to look beautiful. <laughs> right. Unless she wants a little comedy, some levity or something. I don't know. <laughs> I know my lash literally fell off right before this. <laughs> it was a, a Jesus miracle that I was able to put it back on. Right. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for um, being here this evening. I often like to just dive right in. She's not yeah. good. At, she's not good at foreplay, I guess. <laughs> but um, you know, uh, would you uh, tell us a little bit about um, what it was like growing up as a? I mean, before Fonda, you know, back when you're a wee little person. Can you tell us oh. a little bit about that? Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, first I want to say thank you, Urban Villain Church. And thank you, Bonnie, for having me. This is an amazing experience. And I think conversations like this so need to happen. So thank you. Um, so I am 32 years old and I don't look 32 because I look like a 40 year old woman in drag. <laughs> Yes, no, I'm kidding. But uh, I grew up in South Texas. My family is, my dad's side of the family is Italian and Mexican, and my mom's side of the family is Mexican. Both my grandparents are from Mexico. So I grew up in a very traditional, very Latino, and very Italian, <laughs> hot-headed family with just 
a lot at a really young age. I just remember being like, I'm not like other boys. I'm not like my brother. I'm not like, I'm not this tough, like, version that I'm supposed to be. I am very much always at odds, it seems. I'm always being made fun of. And I just felt like I needed, I needed a release somehow and I couldn't find it. And so I grew up always trying to change myself. Mm-hmm. always trying to not like those things, not want to cook with my grandmother, having to learn how to mow the yard. Like I couldn't even mow a straight line. That's how gay I am. And I would get in so much trouble because I would like, I remember one time specifically, like I freaked out because of a bee and my father like hit me and was like, quit being, you know, uh, a what, a ba- like a what we say. And I just, there was this idea that you have to be strong. You have to be tough. And um, it caused a lot of pain that I couldn't articulate or voice. And mm-hmm. so my way of dealing with that, as I have learned being on stage and being larger than life and sharing this, this um, platform with a lot of other people, I'm not unique in this. I hated who this is. Mm-hmm. I learned to bury this, to push it away, to push it aside, to do everything I could sorry, contacts, um, everything I could to be what I thought I needed to be to feel safe in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I went from being, to answer your question, <laughs> I went from being just a very rambunctious, fun, loud, larger than life boy to really at a young age falling into perfectionism and withdrawing. I had no friends. I didn't know how to make friends. I was very much the loner. Um, I focused a lot on school. I did things that would not put me in a situation to where I could be found out. And I didn't even know what gay was. I didn't know that that gay and, and gender and all of these things are what I was struggling with. I just knew that I hated how I felt and I felt like who I was was to blame. And so I found ways to quiet that down Mm -hmm. and to hide. I spent so much of my young life hiding. Yeah, I really, I just relate a lot to what you had to say. I didn't have a lot of the words for it either, but my father was very much like censoring my femininity. I don't even know that he was aware of it, but I learned real quick to, I guess, how to not rock the boat, I guess, even though even though she still did. <laughs> um, well, when, my father when, could see me now. <laughs> right? Is he watching? <laughs> no. Oh, gosh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> but he could see me a mile away with this highlight. Right? <laughs> it looks amazing. Hi, Paul. I love you, too. Hi, Stacy. Glad Quick you all could out. tell them. Yes. No, good, good shout-outs. Um, and so what was... Uh, where was a uh, religion or spirituality um, in that equation for you as a young person? Oh gosh, you know, I th- I honestly think about this a lot. For for a lot of you, obviously, who don't know me or follow me, I am six and a half years sober. Um, for if you know any, thank you. If you know anything about sobriety, there's usually a higher power involved, and there was a whole lot of religious, what I call religious trauma. I think a lot of queer people in this world experience 
even even I would say, even if you come from a supporting family, the fear of rejection in of itself is a trauma. I mean, when you're a child, acceptance is survival. And so I grew up in a very religious home. I grew up in a very Catholic home. I would argue too Catholic. Um, there was so much about doctrine and dogma. It was not ever about a relationship with God. It was never about having an actual relate, like who God even was. I just remember like there was so much in my home um, that was centered around, these are the rules mm -hmm. and these are the rituals. And I remember, I, I remember describing it to my mother because she asked me to, like, why aren't you Catholic anymore? I raised you better than this. I'm like, hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, I what I tell her all the time is like, I grew up only learning about the devil. He was out to get mm -hmm. you. This is how you're wicked. This is how you're sinful. You're going, you're, you know, I always argue that like really strict Catholics are like, nobody gets to heaven. Not even we get to heaven, you know? Right. <laughs> I, I was like, I remember growing up being like, man, why can't I be Methodist? They're like, we all get to heaven. Um, <laughs> but it was just like, there was so much emphasis on fear, 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 fear. You can't trust yourself. You are wicked, you are evil. And there was a lot about, and I think because I knew that I was not like the other boys, I think I knew when puberty hit that I wanted to date and kiss them, um, that a lot of the negative messaging that I heard around sexuality and around the expectation of like what God expects of you as a man and and you know all of that i i really internalized it i was very sensitive to it to where like straight people are like oh, i don't care about that shit for me i'm like oh my god they're talking about me and so i grew up believing every single word of it every single word. i internalized it i remember praying and praying and praying and praying and praying for god to fix me for god to change me and i felt like i couldn't dare share this secret and these feelings with anyone yeah. because then they would be true and you know and it was just so much pain we call that shame yeah um i just was in so much shame because of religion how old were were you when you started um those prayers i so i have this moment if i can share it's a god it's what i call a god moment That's um true. When I was really young, I wanted to be a princess. Like Disney was in its heyday. You know, it was like every year they were punching out a Disney movie like clockwork. It was, my favorite one was Sleeping Beauty. And I don't know why. I just think I loved like the dress and how it changed colors. And I secretly wish that like the fairies were my grandma because my grandmother was just a very um, obtuse woman mm -hmm. with a lot of really awful opinions. But I... I just loved escaping in Disney princesses and I would voice that all the time. Like, I want to be a Disney princess for Halloween. I want to have a Disney princess birthday party. I want, you know, I just, I would sing and I would act it out. And I was thinking like, I was like three to five years old. And I just remember my dad and my mom being like, no, this is wrong. Like people like this, do you want to grow up to be like this person? And, you know, referring to like what you'd see on Jerry Springer and, this is, you're going to go to hell. This is sinful. This is wicked. And I would just remember praying for God to change me. Please, like, 
either make me the boy that I need to be. But also, like, I think I, what I find really funny is I used to pray, like, just make me a princess. Like, that'll mm -hmm. solve everything. Like, if you just make me a princess mm -hmm. and just make it as if I was never Eric, I was just this pretty princess, and then I could have what I want and I would make sense. And it's so funny that as a child, I intuitively knew that maybe there wasn't something wrong with me, that like it was okay to want what I want. And I just pushed all of those memories aside. And I was about a year and a half sober and my sponsor was telling me like, honey, you need to start really like finding a, a power greater than yourself. Like you don't have to call it God. As a matter of fact, I would recommend that you don't considering your history, like yeah. it just has to love you. Like it just has to love you and it has to love other people yeah. because spirituality I've learned is about having a relationship with, not about what you believe. Yeah. And it, you know, it's a two way street and there's a humility and a surrender to spirituality. But anyway, I just remember praying like, okay, God. And then I remembered like, it was like my body occupied that time in that space where I was that little boy. And I just felt this knowing where it was like, I, I did hear your prayers and I want you to know that I was there and I never needed to change you. You were always who I wanted you to be, but I changed the world so you could be you. Mm. Look at the world you live in now where you get to be this version of yourself and walk through the path and the pain that you had to go through to learn to love Eric, who's underneath all the makeup and the wigs and the characters, to really learn about the shame and the struggle of having to find this yeah. and realize that that person is enough. That person is who people love. That person is who loves. Mm -hmm. And I just, it, it was like a really profound moment where I was like, holy shit, maybe there is a God. <laughs> yeah, and, and was it the same God that you'd grew up with or did you think like? You know, that's a really good question. So I believe that God is in all things. I don't believe that God is all things. It's a very different, like God is present, if you will, as like a fingerprint in everything. Like, and as a conscious being, I believe you can look for it. For example, I'll give you an example. So for example, I don't think that God was like, I'm gonna create a pandemic. Like there's free will. Mm -hmm. But what I do believe is that God exists with us in this pandemic and it's through love and not fear. I believe sometimes God is a perspective. And so it's not my same understanding of God, but I recognize that I would not be who I am today if I did not have my experiences with that initial God, uh, one that was centered in fear and had a lot of expectations and a lot of judgment. Because in a way, that's, I don't believe that's what God is, but so, there's a saying that I heard. I'm, this is not original and I'm sure they got it from somewhere. People find God or their own conception of God. One is because of an extreme moment of supreme ecstasy. 
And the other is like a Saul de Paul moment where there's a, such a, an existence of pain that you need relief. You need that love to help you get outside of your own ego and your own self-hatred or whatever, whatever it is that has driven you to that point of pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by experiencing what God isn't through like all of that shame and that judgment and that dogma of my childhood, I feel like I now have a more loving and inclusive reality of God today. Mm-hmm. If it, that makes sense. No, it makes, it makes total sense. <laughs> um, again, I, I know for me, like when I got sober too, it was like, I because yeah, you believe a bunch of shit, but what does belief do? I actually came to rely on God um, to like keep me sober and to like, I don't know, help me be okay in life, um, which was a, a whole thing. Go ahead. I, I know, like, I, it's so funny. We kind of pre-interviewed and we found out, like, talk about God, God moments. We actually have a lot in common, you know, similar all the way down to like people that we know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. been so beneficial to my journey of sobriety and, um, yeah, I really think that there is a profound difference between having a set of rules and rigidity and actually humbling yourself and having a dependence and a relationship with something bigger than yourself. Yeah. And I believe, you know, now, and I believe it's getting more and more divided. I don't want to scare the shiitake mushrooms out of anybody, but, you know, when I look at the world, I realize man, there are either people who are seeking something bigger than themselves or they don't know that they're in hell. Yeah. Trying to fill everything in them with everything other than who they are. And I've been there and I get it. And, you know, I read in a book, Everything Belongs by one of my favorite, you know, my therapist was like, you need to learn other versions of Catholicism other than the one you grew up with. And so I read this Jesuit priest, Everything Belongs. He's very into Buddhism, has like a sober retreat center in New Mexico. But one of the things he said is like, you know, true Christians are far few and in between because they actually recognize that they're not, it's not a about worshiping Jesus. It's about actually picking up his path and applying mm-hmm. it to your life and undergoing the grief and the loss of comfort and familiarity to really walk into the wilderness of what it means to be alive and to have all of the emotions and to experience rejection and pain, which, and which is why Jesus, I think, was so focused on the fringes. Yeah. Who is the outsider? Because they get it. And... Um, I just want to say thank you, everybody, for commenting along, and thank you for being here. Yeah, there's been a lot of love about your uh, your time. Uh, congratulations on your time. Mini Happy thank you is here. Um, Penny Costell is here, who is a new person I became aware of, who I'm excited to get to know a little bit more. Um, I'm gonna we're we're gonna do is just take a real quick break. We have a little video that we're gonna show, and then we'll come right back. And if folks have questions for uh, Fonda, we will ask those questions then. So we're gonna take a little break.
and we're back. <laughs> that was such a fun video. Right? She's learned, she's getting some skills. <laughs> she's learning the as she goes. Mm -hmm. Right? So um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your, um, you're a mental health advocate. Um, mm -hmm. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, thank you. So, um, okay, how do I say this? Um, I believe everybody should focus on their mental health, but I'm also very aware that mental health and access to mental health services in this country in particular is a privilege, not a right. Yeah. Um, and I believe that there are so many things that we can do to break down the stigma and the shame, number one, around mental health, particularly where it intersects with identity and shame, uh, substance use disorder, and eating disorders, which I think statistically are very high in our community as a way to cope. And I also believe that in breaking down the shame and the stigma around mental health, that we can also work within the framework of what we have to create new resources and bridge the gaps between higher costs of care and what people can actually access. Yeah. Um, and that is why I'm an advocate. The main reason I am an advocate is because, you know, I'm very public about this. I had a life-threatening eating disorder as a result of a lot of the shame and the trauma that I grew up with. Um, I was hospitalized in and out of medical facilities because there really wasn't anything for, in the early 2000s, for m young males with eating disorders, particularly in South Texas. There just did not exist. It just did not exist. And so it wasn't until I was 18 and on my own because my family didn't like that I was a homosexual that I found a therapist who saw me for free for three years until I had a firm grasp on eating disorder recovery. And that is by far the exception, not the rule. And so I do a lot, a lot of what I can to advocate for, for that um, because one, I think it's kind of a calling. <laughs> like I was given it for a reason. I mm -hmm. recognize what a gift it was. Um, but I also believe that once upon a time I needed to hear a story like mine and I knew it existed. I just don't think people had the same tools and resources that I was being given by obvious, like now I see it as a power greater than myself. And so I have, I, I do, I, I, you can follow me on Instagram at FK drag. Yes. Um, but I also work with eating recovery center and Pathlight behavioral health. Uh, I have my own Instagram live series once a month called queen and sober, where I interview very similar to this. I would love to have mm -hmm. you on the show um, about LGBTQ lived LGBTQIA lived experiences. Um, Recovery is not about perfection. It's just about learning. I'm learning to love and accept yourself for right where you are, even if that's in struggle. Yeah. Um, as well as therapists. Uh, I, I've interviewed some amazing mental health experts on some really awesome topics. We're going to be talking all about self-love and building intimacy with yourself in our February episode. So definitely, definitely. Um, Connect with me on Instagram. 
And mm -hmm. I can connect you with other free resources that exist. If especially if you're someone who you feel like you're struggling with disordered eating, I got your back. Got your back. Yeah, fantastic. And if you are watching or listening, I will put it in the description, all the links to everything that Fonda has just talked about. Um after we're done with this. <laughs> so oh, thank you. Yeah, it'll be there. Um, I was curious, uh, you know, COVID has been a really interesting time and I feel like it's illuminated a lot of um, things that many of us were already knew. We already knew there were a lot of deficiencies and inequalities and that um, I think things that were kind of in the dark, maybe not to people like us, um, but talk a little bit about um, mental health and how mental health has been impacted with COVID. Have you noticed any differences? Yes. Um, yes. Uh, I don't, <laughs> I'm not a doctor. Okay. I, I don't, I just have lived experience. Yes. Um, I'm a survivor. Uh, what I have noticed is this is, this is a profound time of grief. I don't care what color, religion, you know, uh, any back, like we're, I think we're all learning that we are, either trying to be one human family or we're falling apart. And I saw a really beautiful meme, quote, gif, I don't know, not, I went to public school. Um, so I saw, and it said, quit, we're all in the same storm, but we're not in the same ship. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a beautiful way to describe privilege. We are all in the same storm, we're not in the same ship. And I think for me, what I've really, been having to work on is really learning how to spend time with myself and really reevaluate what's important and really look at a lot of my own running away. I just because I'm sober doesn't mean I have my shit together. And I haven't no. Um who does? <laughs> right. Um and but like I was a workaholic. I was a full-time student. I worked full-time. I had my own drag show on the weekends. Like I did not like spending time with myself because there was still levels and layers of my own self-rejection and internalized phobia of myself and, and things that like, I just did not know how to feel. Mm -hmm. I did not know how to press pause. And then all of a sudden there was this moment where the world just hit pause. Yeah. on everything and it was so scary and it was so loud mm -hmm. and for me i've learned to keep the focus on myself but i would argue for a lot of people yeah. and there was this this moment where everything and anything that i had placed my identity in was just not there there was no more drag shows there was no more school there was no more performing there was no more working there mm -hmm. was just faith that i was going to stay sober that at least I had my recovery. I had a power greater than myself. I remember sitting on the edge of my bed going, you know what? This is a great opportunity for you to prove to me that you got my back because I literally have no answers. Yeah. There was no unemployment yet. There was none of this. Like it was just this holy shit moment. And, and then recognizing just like all of the grief and loss. Um, I lost a drag sister to COVID. I lost a sponsee to suicide. I lost a friend to suicide. Um, my best friend just lost her grandfather to COVID. Um, and there's just a lot of grief. Yeah. 
and it takes time. I, I saw grief is love with nowhere to go. Mm. And um, I think we're really good. What, I mean, once the world starts to open back up and we start finding our way back to normal, I think it's gonna be very different. Yeah, very much so. Um, uh, there is a question um, from Juan Pablo says, what would you say uh, to other young Fondas in Latinx families that are struggling with being their authentic selves? Well, Juan Pablo, I want to first and foremost say that you're here, which is amazing. And it, I think it takes so much courage to just even be here with each other um, in the world that we live in. I would say, no, if you don't get this from anywhere else, hopefully you get it from us here today. There is absolutely nothing wrong with who you are. God is love. 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 If God is anything, it is love. It is not condemnation. It is not rejection. It is not fear. It is not abandonment. And the most powerful thing that I've had to learn in my own journey is the power of forgiveness, forgiving myself first for hating my 11 year old chubby Latinx self for being queer and not wanting to play basketball and wanting to be a dancer or a volleyball player or whatever, but also recognizing that my family and my culture was also centered in fear. It is not something to hate. It is not something to condemn. It's just fear. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine the pain of my mother to be afraid to love her child for who he is. That sounds awful. I know how hard it was for me to even learn to love myself for who I am. And so I just want to say you are not alone. Find people who are just as colorful as you are. Mm -hmm. And Amen. Yeah. And love, and love you until you can fully love yourself. One of the things that you said uh, just before the show started was you mentioned, um, and somebody said it to me that it's not um, it's not your issue, it's their issue. So exactly. like somebody has a problem with you, that's their issue, it's not yours. You're not the problem. So always remember that you're not the problem. You're not what's wrong. It's their, them who need to change and them who need to open up and understand. God does not condemn. I mean, there's. I had to learn a very valuable lesson. I'm just going to say this in terms of spirituality. There is a difference between condemnation and conviction. Mm -hmm. Condemnation is, if there was, if there is a devil, it's the closest thing to devil on earth. This, you are not enough. You, God does not want you. you there are things about you that God rejects. I will tell you this the God of my understanding loved me the exact same when I was sleeping around for self-esteem and doing drugs and drinking because I hated myself. My God loved me the same then as he does today. And who I am today was also in that version of myself too. I could not have gotten here today if it was not for that version of myself. Mm. So the story that comes to mind is Jesus at the well. You know, mm. the world does not get to tell you when your conviction happens. And the difference between condemnation and conviction is conviction has so much love and it shows you the way to something more beautiful, more fulfilling and more reliable than 
whatever false beliefs or negative things that you've adopted to believe about yourself will ever get you. Those are all mirages. You know, that, that idea of like, people will love me more when I reach my ideal weight or my driver's license weight. It's, that's not real. Mm-hmm. And I've learned that in my journey. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Uh, Tony has a question. How do you view drag as an artist that, an, as an art, <laughs> that, sorry, how do you view drag as an art that for healing, specifically in the context you mentioned of COVID and grief? I believe that we had talked about it. This is kind of a calling and like, you know, kind of like how my brother who's a priest puts on his, you know, green robe for this and purple robe for that. And, you know, it's, it's a, a way of standing out, you know, drag is a way in which we can look at all of the boxes in which we put ourselves in this idea of, of how gender has been encapsulated by shame. And I view drag as a, as a liberation for me because when I, when I share this moment with other people like myself, such as you, it's so healing because once upon a time, I learned a trick through this. <laughs> once upon a time, I felt so ashamed and so alone And what I've learned is it's not about finding the answers. It's about learning to celebrate life with people who have the same questions as you. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, putting on this makeup and putting on this character is a way for me to celebrate all of who I am. Yeah. And, And it's a way it's about bringing out those parts of my soul and those parts of myself that I thought God and the world wanted nothing to do with. And I shoved them into a closet and the community that has built around this, if you let it, and the ability to express yourself in a way that is vulnerable becomes such a rewarding experience. For me, it's drag has been nothing but healing. Yeah. Nothing but healing. Um, don't get me wrong, sometimes it's scary, especially going downstairs in six inch heels. Right. Um, but it has been nothing but healing because you all give me so much love. Yeah, what, um, what is something that you've been surprised by folk, by people sharing with you what, how your drag has impacted them? Was there, I, I always hear random weird stuff I didn't expect. Have you heard any? Yes, <laughs> I have um, a couple. So I gave a TED talk about being drag and how I learned that I had to, that everybody dresses up when they're insecure. Like you don't, mine's more obvious, obviously, but you know, pretend perfectionism is a very powerful costume. And Mm. I have had so many messages from people over the years telling me that my talk um, allowed them to love a part of themselves that they had no idea they hated. Um, It allowed them to be honest with people in their family about who they really are. Um, People from China, people from the Middle East, people from South America, all over the world. Um, And then I've also had a lot of haters. (laughs) You know, I've had people who have said some pretty mean things, but um, it also shows me the reality, like, of the world. So I'm very grateful for that. And then in a simpler way, like, just being open about my sobriety and how drag has been so healing. like 
anytime I do a sober show, there's always some newcomer, someone who's new to sobriety, who just needs to be around safe people and express and explore this side of themselves too. And the ability to get to do that is so rewarding and healing. And also like I had my own drag brunch and this, I'll shut up after this, but I, I just, there was this one drag brunch where I saw this mom and this dad and their son and they were Latin and Mm -hmm. Latino and he was like no more than 10 years old and he was just smiling and lighting up and handing me and all the other drag queens dollars and the mom was just having a good time and the dad was having a good time. Uh And it was so healing and so powerful because I thought, holy shit, like Mm -hmm. this is all worth it. Just to be able to see that, just know that there are people in this world who are different and making change and loving their child and bringing their child to a drag show. And, and there was just so many similarities and it was like seeing a different side of myself when I was younger. And it was just like, I just like thanked them for being such awesome parents and like, um, and for, for being here and supporting us. It was, and you just got to show up to see it. How powerful, huh? It's exciting to think that kids are getting to have experiences that we didn't, um, and in part because we exist and we exist so like openly, you know, imagine what that was like for that young person. He might not even realize it. Oh God, I know. I mean, the internet, right? And like RuPaul's Drag, I mean, times are changing. Like Mm -hmm. that's, and there was a part of me, you know, being human who was just like, man, I'm kind of jealous. I'm not kind of like really jealous, you know? this other part of me that's like god you don't have to go through what i went through thank god there's a whole new world out there for you like you you see what queer people and and gay people can become when they're supported and you can see at such a young age that they can have this confidence and this fearlessness that is their birthright you know that that like i I'm just so amazed at this younger generation's ability to embrace change and they get it. It gives me a lot of hope. Yeah, it's almost more of an issue to not get it with young people nowadays, which is great. (laughs) They're like, what's the issue? Like, and then I'm like, can you help me with TikTok? (laughs) Right. They're like, okay, grandma. You're like, I'm not that old. I better not look that. I mean, I paid a good amount to a dermatologist. <laughs> right. Um, I think this is a question. It says, Urban Village Church says, we talk a lot at the church about what will this generation of kids be like if they don't have to unlearn all the shame and self-hatred we had to unlearn. How can we make that more possible? Oh, God. Well, one, I would always say in terms of spirituality, you are the change. You are the change that is needed in the world. God gave you, your creator gave you, nature gave you, whatever floats your boat, unique gifts that are needed, you know, and they're needed for you to share. Only you can share them. And I think what is so beautiful about this this idea of not having to unlearn, to, like being a generation to really address shame and creating a 
a new language and framework is like, what can God really build when we're not in the way? Yeah. You know, what can we realize? I think it's a beautiful quote by Marianne Williamson. It's not our darkness that scares us. It's our light. It's how beautiful we really are. It's how much we really shine. Mm -hmm. Thinking to ourselves, who am I to be so beautiful, so bright? You're a child of God. Like God did not make you on a dimmer, you know? And so I think by continuing to love ourselves more, we are creating change. We're, We're, you know, loving myself more. I'm able to be more of who I was supposed to be. And, and share that love and, and give that love and receive that love. And I think that's very powerful because that's ultimately, I think what heals people is love. Yeah. Um, whether that's God in the form of a group of drunks or God in the form of a book or witnessing profound social change for justice, or, I mean, it's, this idea that God only exists in church, I think, is changing. Yeah. Um, and I will shush. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think that's very well said because for many of us, we can't connect with God in church. Like we're not even able to be in church. So we find God finds us outside of church and we find God outside of church too. In AA, we say, um, well, I think almost all 12-step recovery, which is what I'm in for my sobriety. I just outed myself. I know. Oops. It happens. Just pretend you never heard it. But um, we say that like we see that religion has brought meaning and direction to millions of people for millennium. Mm -hmm. And there's something to be witnessed and observed by that. I think church is evolving because church, I grew up believing that church was this place that you went to on Sunday and you acted like, you know, you were sorry and you were on your best behavior and you learned. But then when you left church, it was just like, you left church. And all of a sudden it was back to being like screaming and yelling and fighting and, you know, all that stuff. And I think what I've witnessed and what I've seen, is, especially with technology, has been this complete breakdown of walls in terms of how we used to compartmentalize our lives. There's now this thread of technology that just completely connects it or disconnects all of it. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're really beginning to see is that true spirituality is 24 seven. It's not just something you do on Sunday. It's not just something you pick up when you walk into a building. You're either walking the walk and living in communion with a power greater than yourself, which includes other people, people who don't look like you, people who don't sound like you, people who don't come from a, the background that you come from, you allow yourself to be uncomfortable and you do your best. And I think churches that are really kind of reshaping that church now, I think, is where you go to get fed. And it can be online, it can be not just a building. Uh, I heard one of my favorite spiritual teachers saying that like, God isn't in the church, God is in you and he goes to church with you. And when you leave, God leaves with you. Right. Your mom, I think your mom has two preachers in the family. Oh God. <laughs> well, we both wear dresses. Right. <laughs> um, I th- was there a question? Oh yeah, Becky says, um, hi Becky, by the way, it's great to see you here. 
I've always been told that drag is a performance art, but it seems so much more than that. Is it a performance identity to you? How would you describe drag for you? Great questions. That is a great question. I want to validate that for some people, drag is definitely an art. It's a character. It is separate from themselves. For me, it's a little different than that. Um, I'll speak to my experience, like, because I am aware of, I've had to really be, drag used to be such an escape for me to run away from myself. Mm. And then every time I would take off the makeup and the hair and the costume, and I talk about this in my TED talk, that boy that I was running away from, it was like, there was like this giant magnifying glass on him yeah. and I couldn't, couldn't cover him up fast enough. And so for me, drag has been this transformational journey of learning to love and embrace all of me. Mm-hmm. Um, because this used to be shrouded in shame and secrecy and silence and judgment. And I needed, it has been this bridge to community, this, this shore of faith. Um, and I recognize that like drag to exist as a drag queen, like I'm always present that Eric is underneath this costume, Mm -hmm. this outfit. It's like me in a different outfit and that how I exist in this space, even here now on this live is, um, is an act of rebellion Mm -hmm. in a way. It's an act of defiance, but it's also an act of love and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And if I let it, I mean, I, I could also be a wall, uh, but I've learned that I remember, I'll never forget, I was giving my TED talk and I had to practice it in front of like a panel of like <laughs> very intense tech people. And this woman came up to me and she was like, you know, that wall, I I hope you realize that everybody in this room absolutely loves you and respects the hell out of what you're doing. Um, And that my hope is that you get to take these walls down and let people love you. I know that once upon a time you needed to put them up to keep yourself safe, but walls keep out love too. Mm -hmm. And I was like, (sighs) (laughs) you don't know me. (laughs) Yeah, you don't know me. But I needed to hear that. Yeah, that's so good. And now now you can still do the same things, but it's not about putting up a wall. No. It's just about existing. And celebrating and having fun and making fun of all of the, you know, making fun of all of the things that are my experience yeah. uh, in terms what's of gender your, and identity. What's your, I know that you love being on the stage. Um, what would you say is your favorite, um, I guess, type of performance that you do? I love glamp glamour and camp so like one of the things that i i've learned to really embrace about my persona is that i love what did i say earlier being the tia that's trying to steal everybody's man at the you know at the pachanga <laughs> like uh, i love beauty i love makeup but i i also think that as a culture we put way too much emphasis on beauty as a as a currency Mm. and so I've learned to be irreverent with beauty and to so be glamorous but then campy there's always something that I do in my performance or my show that would be considered wacky oddball grotesque not sexy um at all right and and I 
I love it. <laughs> I love, um, I have this, and I'm not always pretty, like I have this, my favorite character to do is this really crusty old lady version of myself that has like on two stacked wigs and like layered house coats and big old glasses and a, a runny stocking and a cane. And she like pretends to be the MILF and like is just super, it's just not sexy at all. <laughs> and but it's so freeing to make people laugh mm. it's like my favorite sound is yeah. laughter and your name your name i think puts a great label on your art probably then right okay <laughs> the story about my name is it was given to me i did not pick this name mm. it was given to me by a really wonderfully talented og in san antonio who has made drag possible for so many her name's taryn taylor and I was just at a bar and I said, you know, I love watching your shows. I wish I could do drag. And she's like, well, honey, you need a name. You look like a big old bottom. Your name's Fonda Cox. And then like years later, I was like, I'm, I'm ready. All right. <laughs> and so I always tell people like, it's this funky 70s, like street name. <laughs> like the perfect name for me. It's fantastic. Um, there's a question that, that just came up. I think it can be, there's not like one right answer, but I know that um, maybe you could, it says, what is the difference between drag and someone who is trans? And maybe you could just share maybe uh, your experience with drag and maybe how it relates to your gender, if at all. Totally. Um, so I am, I, I identify as non-binary, which means a lot of things for me, I'll keep the focus on what I believe. I believe God is masculine and feminine. I don't believe, you know, we are all made in the image and likeness of a creator and therefore um, God exists equally in, in all spectrums of gender. And I believe that gender as we understand it today is rooted in shame. It's derived from shame. It's not derived from love. And I that's a huge part of why I think drag is so important is mm -hmm. a lot of the gender roles and the things that we've decided and agreed upon for gender is that male and female is opposing opposites that contradict each other, that everything that is negative about masculinity exists in femininity. That's mm -hmm. also called misogyny. Yeah. Um, and drag challenges all of that um, for me. And I've never, I've never, I believe that this is also very much part of gender and expression, which is why I'm non-binary. I don't, I don't really adhere to this idea that my gender is connected to my biological sex. And I believe for me, my experience is I did wonder if I was trans for a long time and it was a very painful process. And I saw a therapist and I realized that um, I just, I came to peace with a lot of things about myself because I believe that trans is beautiful and it is necessary and everything that I have learned to love about myself has come from the trans community. Right. Um, and especially like the love that I get from, from my friends and my community in Texas, um, like drag is so like inclusive down there. It's not even funny. This idea that like, with RuPaul that drag is only men dressing as women is so flawed. 
Um, mm -hmm. And so, but I believe what I what I've learned is that um, people just deserve respect. I, I don't want to speak too much about trans the trans experience because that is not my experience. But what I can say is, um, trans the trans people that I know have so much courage, and it is so they inspire me, and I love them. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for answering that. Um, and Paul, like drag and trans they're, they're, um, you know, trans people can do drag, um, mm -hmm. uh, just because you're trans doesn't mean you do drag or because you do drag you're trans. So there's a lot of different narratives for different people. So it really is yeah. a personal experience and everybody's just going to be a little different. I, I would say, I mean, I do feel comfortable answering this because I do think it's a very, you know, mm -hmm. powerful question. Um, like you said, trans people can perform in drag because drag essentially is a performance. Mm -hmm. It's not an identity. Trans is an identity. It is uh, realizing that your gender does not match your biological sex. And it is... Um, it is a very real experience, and I think we've—I think we as a we have a as a culture have really dehumanized a lot of my like marginalized identities. We forget that there's a human being there. Whether you know, even I think that's one of the biggest problems they have with like quote unquote Christianity and religion is, you know, you can't lift someone up and throw stones at them at the same time. Yeah. Just yeah. respect the journey. Yeah, very well said. We are um, running up on about the end of time. I was going to ask a question. Um, is prayer a part of your spiritual life? Yes. And I was curious, what is it that you're praying for right now? Is that an okay question to ask? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I'm praying for a man and money and flowers for Valentine's Day. <laughs> no, um, my idea of prayer has really changed. Growing up, it was very ritual. It's like you had to pray the rosary or, you know, going to hell. You have to pray the Our Father or going to hell. It was like, you know, you have to pray because God expects it of you. It's a sacrifice. Like prayer was sacrifice. And like, to me, that's a total crock of baloney. Like prayer is about communion with. Mm. I believe there's so many types of prayer. Prayer is surrender, prayer in silence, prayer in doing. Um, it's about being present. Uh, I heard from Deepak Chopra Oprah that prayer is a smaller part of God reaching out to a larger part of God. Mm. And I love that. And so what I'm currently praying for, I always pray for acceptance. I've learned that's the most powerful thing for me. I'm a very hard-headed, very uh, quick to fire the gun, you know, Texan, locked and loaded. Mm. And I've learned that prayer like spiritual prayer and everything that I've studied about spiritual spirituality is about accepting God's will and not trying to change God's mind, understanding that God's will for you is meant to prosper you and better you. And so prayer is synonymous with trust, surrender, peace, acceptance. I'm not always there. Trust me. Sometimes mm -hmm. I'm like, just give me the goods. I want the right. cash prizes. But um, I've learned that it is 
it is, for me, it's best to just say, okay, God, help me get out of the way, put me on the path of least resistance, help me be of service to people, help me be kind, help me forgive, um, because I was angry for way too long. Yeah. Wow, this has been such a great conversation. I want to talk to you forever. <laughs> I, I, I know, I'm, I, I'm a long-winded queen. <laughs> oh, I, I, I mean, I've just really enjoyed the conversation and I've gained a lot. Um, thank like, you for having me and having this conversation. And thank you everybody for tuning in. Thank you all for your questions. Um, Paul, Angel, Hannah, Stacy, I'm just, who's on the screen? Um, thank you for being here. Thank you, Urban Villain Church, for having me. Yes, fantastic. Thank you. Thanks again, everybody. Um, next week, we'll be here at the same time, uh, same place. Um, we'll be uh, here with uh, Willa of the Wisp, which I hope I'm saying that correctly, Willa of the Wisp, um, which I'm excited also to have, an inter or to have a conversation with her. So please um, find us next week, same time, same place. Um, and until next week, take care, be kind to one another. And uh, I don't know, I think that's what they say at the end of this sort of stuff, right? <laughs> that and get the money first. Get <laughs> All right, we'll take care and uh, play the outro.